Life Audio. Faith Over Fear is brought to you by Life Audio and is part of our Faith Toolkit series. For more inspirational, faith-affirming podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Welcome to the Faith Over Fear podcast, where we tackle our most pervasive fears with truth. Because life is too short for any of us to live enslaved. We would love to connect with you online. Just visit our show notes to learn how to connect with us. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. I'm Jennifer Slattery, and today I want to talk to those of you who are parents, who are grandparents, guardians, really anyone who is actively involved in influencing the next generation. Today's children are growing up in a challenging and uncertain world, and to navigate this world well, they'll need to develop a certain level of resiliency, which is basically the ability to press through hard circumstances and then to bounce back from setbacks. Well, this is something my guest today, Helen Smallborn, author and mom to incredibly talented and successful children, understands quite well. Helen, thank you for joining us today. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. So Helen is the co-founder of Mum Life, so that's mumlife.org, and co-host of the Mum Life Community Podcast. Her passion is encouraging mothers and families with the God-breathed wisdom she has gleaned during 32 years of active mothering. Born and raised in Australia, Helen dedicated her life to Christ as a teen at a Billy Graham crusade. Now the mother of seven and grandmother of 13, Helen lives near Nashville, Tennessee with her husband, David, and a small menagerie of animals. She shares her and her family's story of difficulty, hardship, and triumph in her recent release, Behind the Lights, The Extraordinary Adventure of a Mom and Her Family. And so you actually are the, the mom of the lead singers to King and Country, correct? Yep. And then yep. also Rebecca St. James, correct? Yep. So yep. I know you've just had so many different experiences with the music world, but I also know you shared some instances in your book where you and your family went through some really challenging circumstances. Looking back over that, what do you think was the hardest? I think when we left Australia to come to America, most people, when they make a major life change, actually have a bit of a nest egg. They actually have something they can rely on, usually financially. We really didn't have anything. And I think leaving everything that was familiar and our family and friends back in Australia to come to America was probably the hardest. Uh, actually, leaving them was the hardest thing. But I find in difficult circumstances, 
you've really got, if, if you know God is with you, then pretty much you can do anything. The hardest part is sensing his presence or the doors that he's opening and sometimes even sensing the doors he's closing, recognizing that even closed doors are for our good. But yeah, the hardest part was probably just getting on that plane and actually leaving. Though there was a spirit of adventure to it too. And I realized that I do like adventure. Is <laughs> yes, what I've actually heard that moving is one of like the top five traumatic events, probably because you do uproot and the relationships that you've had, you know, that you've formed, there is some grieving in that. So I could totally understand that. Well, in your book, you talk about a time when things were so difficult financially that everyone, the children included, pitched in. So mm-hmm. I know there, I, I loved your perspective and I loved just reading how you kind of process that. And, and from looking now backwards is, is kind of the yeah. sense I got. But in that moment, were there times when you wrestled with that? Like what, what, what was challenging during those times? I don't think I did wrestle with it, to tell you the honest truth. And part of it was because of my history. So I grew up as a pastor's kid and we were in a small, it's not the mega church or of America. It's where the parsonage is next door to the church and the meetings are often held in inside your own home or the, your father's offices in the home. So I was very used to all of us being a part of my dad's ministry. And he relied very strongly upon us. Um, one, I think, as role models to to his church and as a family. And then secondly, once we got older in youth group, as being a part of that and giving him active feedback as to what was really going on in those meetings. So I grew up in that environment, which possibly I think really prepped me for what was to come. Then when David started into his own small business, we were all fairly hands-on again. Labor often in small businesses or family business is the hardest thing to come across. And so when you have seven kids, and obviously we didn't have them all when we started, but you start with the premise of we're all in this together. So we would put flyers out. Uh, He was in Christian music back in Australia before we came. We actually were there for 15 years. He was a concert promoter. He had a small record company. He did artist management. So he was already, we were already in Christian music even before we came to Australia. So we, when we had a concert coming up and there was an event at a church or whatever, we would go out and put flyers on all the cars and things like that. And we would do all that as a family. So when, you know, we came to 1991 and we're in America, 1992, and we're, really pushed financially. I mean, David had some income. He lost a job, got another. We needed all hands on deck. And so it was it was not even a second thought that we would just do stuff together. And so the kids actually in those early days, um, our son Daniel ended up selling at a flea market with some friends. Becca was a babysitter. She cleaned houses. We ended up doing gardening and raking. So we did all the sort of menial cash jobs and it was really those tasks and us working together in those early days that actually put food on the table. How did that, do you think, affect your relationship with one another as a family? Oh, it was great. I mean, we knew each other well. We relied on each other. Every person felt they counted. I think that's a real important thing. I sometimes think these days, particularly in the Western world, We allow our kids to have it too easy. I think we need to sometimes make life a little harder for them. 
And I think they grow off up often without a good work ethic. They don't even understand what work is without a sense of unity and purpose, without seeing that they can make a difference. And so I felt for the kids, they were all knew they were needed down to the youngest because my little three-year-old or four-year-old, he would push my youngest who was, you know, a year or two years old, depending upon, you know, what you were talking about, he would push her in the stroller or keep her amused. So everybody had a job. Did you ever struggle with one? So I, we're coming from, I'm recording from a Western society. And so it's, you know, hearing some of just the way you process it and some of how maybe I have processed things in my own life. And I wonder, did you ever even even just briefly struggle with like guilt or questions? You know, is, is this what we should be doing? Is this or were you just pretty much confident the whole time? This is what God is calling us to do. And this is how I need to parent. I think so. I think mm -hmm. so. I mean, we'd started homeschooling before we came to America. And so I'd had about six months maybe of homeschooling before we came to America, which was very radical. Australians do not homeschooling. It's not an avid alternative to school. And I, I did that under the influence of a friend and it was, there were reasons for me doing it, but I loved it. I loved being together. I loved working together. I love exploring education and science and history together. So we'd already sort of established, and, and, and this just seemed an ongoing part of homeschooling. You know, we're learning to work together. This is another important life school. We're learning the skills of mowing, of gardening, of cleaning houses. And for some of my boys, that would have laid a pretty good foundation for them, them now as dads and husbands. So no, I, I don't think I ever felt really guilty. I just felt this was a the doors that God was opening and we needed everything to work, that every opportunity that was we were given it to be a success and to do it together just was a very natural just next step, really. Mm -hmm. Well, looking specifically on just fi the financial difficulties you experienced, I know there are so many people right now who still are recovering actually mm -hmm. from COVID and, and there are some mm -hmm. people who have lost jobs, lost businesses. And so how did that time of financial struggle, how do you think that impacted your children's character and their resiliency specifically? I think because they started to learn to work at very young ages, they learned that they had, they would encounter issue problems sort of in their day-to-day -day worlds. So apart from working to put food on the table, once Rebecca was signed at age 16, probably when she was about 17, maybe 18, we decided we were going to travel as a family and that the kids, because we've started to work together doing more menial tasks, that the kids would actually be a part of the crew. And so Daniel, who would have been about 16, learned how to set up the lights. He went and sort of had a, <laughs> what do I don't know, a educational experience on how to set up lights. Um, our son, Ben, helped him. Then Joel, I think he, actually Ben might have done more the sound and set up the sound. And then the boys just all were the supports. And we started simple, obviously. We were traveling in a 15-seater van, pulling a trailer, but they ended up being the crew. And they then they learned to problem solve because they came up with problems from very young ages. They learned life's not easy. Every place we'd set up, particularly with churches, with choir lofts, you know, you name it, the, the, the interesting 
dealing with different people, you know, because we'd get local loaders. They had a lot of experience from very young ages on working with people, on completing a task, problem solving. Yeah. So it, it, those life skills have continued to follow them through their life. And now we have booking girls. Rebecca is our oldest. Our youngest, Libby, is a girl. And then we have the five boys in the middle. And all those five boys still work together to this day. Wow. So as you were just going through your life circumstances, how, in what ways did you kind of help them process or talk through some of these things, like on a, on an emotional level and then on, on a faith level? Yeah, I think on an emotional level, I don't think I ever held back as to what we were feeling. We had, I think by nature, I have a pretty positive outlook on life. The glass is half full. It's not half empty. We don't look at all the bad things. We look at all the things that we're thankful for. And I think living with an attitude of gratitude allows us to then not take on the heaviness so much on our own shoulders, but recognize that God is in control and that he is with us on this journey. And then I sort of feel like when you look at life through a positive lens, then you look for the hand of God. And when I can see God with me, and it might be just little encouragements, it might be a verse that just speaks to my spirit. It might be something that's said in, in I, I listen to in a song, you know, it can be just little things, going out and hearing the birds or seeing the sun. It can be anything. But when you know that God's with you on that on your journey, then pretty much you can trust him for where he's leading us. There were only a couple of days that David and I really struggled to get out of bed in those early days when we were really doing it tough. And that was because of a major disappointment. And then as we prayed about it, and I would actually get on the floor with the kids and we would pray together. So I would ish, like list, not list out, but like talk about the, the, the problems that we were facing together. They were very in the know, and then we would pray about it. And what I found that did is it helped me come to grips with the fact that we were a unit, that we were together, that I wasn't just on my own. I'm, I sometimes think when we don't talk about stuff, when we don't share stuff, then we feel isolated from others. And the people who are our support system, and in this, in this time for us, it was David, my husband, we were together, we were a unit, and then the kids were very strongly the next the next support unit. And um, when we would sit and talk and then we'd pray about things, then the kids also were looking for God's hand. And every time we had a major disappointment, we had a major encouragement. It could be a check in the mail. It could be people dropping groceries off on our doorstep. It could be somebody asking us to do a new job. But there was always an encouragement. There was always something that said, I'm here. Just keep going. Take the next step. So actually, I have, I have two questions with that. So my first, do you think you always had a like a positive outlook or was that something that was more trained in you growing up? Or was that maybe a combination of both? Oh, gosh. 
I think it was partly trained growing up. My parents were very active in their faith at home. And I think my mum especially had a positive outlook on life. She was a never say die type of lady. And so she would always be, you know, we're going to fight through this. We're going to get through this. My dad, maybe not so much, but their faith was very strong. And, and it was evidence the fact that all four of myself and my three older brothers, they, we, none of us ever left the faith. So for pastors' kids, that says a lot about who my parents are. And I do think, so I do think it did come some from my background. And I just think, I suppose I try and grow me as I see things. So I set aside usually, a, well, particularly when the pressure was on with kids, I would set about an hour a day as much as I could to just have some quiet time, have some, you know, what I call sort of me time. I would make the kids all go into their rooms and they'd have to stay quietly in there till I came out. Some of them would be sleeping. It would be when the youngest were napping. And and that quiet time allowed me to keep a God focus, to really just sit back and just take a few minutes. The, the verse that says, be still and know that I am God, is just so true. Sometimes we're just, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here, I get so busy and caught up, I forget to sit. I forget to just sit and be and listen to him, not just speak to him, but listen to what he's telling me through what's going on. And so I think it's definitely a combination of both. And so when you were, you know, you said that just the way you guys prayed and talked through things. And so you saw God's hand pretty consistently through all these things. Did you ever have times where like you're in the middle of a challenge or a what feels like a crisis and you reflected on those past events. Yeah. So we we traveled a lot together as a family because we were following Rebecca as the support crew and we had an, um, a motorhome um, that we would travel in and so we could be together. And after a concert, everybody's pretty hyped, to tell you the truth. It takes you a little while to sort of calm down. And so we would often start, we, we would often get on the road and start uh, traveling to the next concert. And in that time, we would talk. And that's when, in that talking was the time when we would share what God was doing and how we were seeing his provision and uh, how he was directing our steps. So, yeah, a lot of time spent in the car traveling, we would definitely use those opportunities to talk together, to discuss even heavy issues that we were dealing with, not just for us directionally, but just in life issues, you know, whether it be sex, whether it be, I don't know how people, the choices people make in life, whether positive or negative, but a lot of time was spent just talking and being together. Mm, that's awesome. So you had mentioned in your book that coming to America felt like stepping into hope. So how did your view of God, of his heart, of his character, of his power, of his promises, how did that fuel your sense of hope? Well, God closed a lot of doors in Australia, so there wasn't any retreating, really. We had to just take the next step forward. And I'm actually very thankful for that. I think sometimes when life is a little tough, there's still something we can go back to. But we really didn't have anything back in Australia to go back to, so we had to move forward. I think that the fact that we couldn't retreat, we had to go forward, was a real positive because it would have been too easy to just say, this is too hard, let's just go home. But I knew it was not, we'd sold just about everything. We had no home, but we didn't even have a car. 
like there was nothing to go home to. So in stepping forward in hope, probably the hard part was when we did have a job to come over for, but when David lost that a couple of months after we were here, that was pretty overwhelming. Like, God, what are you doing? Like, you got us to come to America. We've left everything. There's nothing to go home to. And now we lose a job. Like, come on, what are we doing? I'm very grateful that my husband is a fairly persistent type of man. I trusted him that he would not say die, that he would find a way. So between trusting God and trusting him, I knew we would move through this. It's just when you're in it, it sometimes feels so overwhelming that it's hard to move past. But I do stand on promises of God. You've got to stand on the promises of God. You've got to believe when he gives you a promise that you've got to repeat it. And I think that's what I found myself doing a lot. When I did have my doubts, I would stand on a promise that I felt he'd given. And really, in coming to America, you got to, I mean, we stood on Jeremiah 29, verses 11 and 12, you know, for I know the plans that I have for you. They're plans to give, they're good plans. They're not to, they're not for disaster. They're to give you our future and our hope. And there's an interesting one because the verse after 11, 12, and I don't know if it's 12 and 13, but it's definitely 12, says, and when you, when you call to me, I will answer. And when you seek me, you'll find me. And really, that was the testimony of those times, that God did have a better plan than we ever had, and that when we did call on him, he did answer, and when we did seek him, he did, we did find him. And once you know, once you've seen God meet you, I'm meaning real life meet you, care for you, it's easier to trust him the next time. Wow. Yeah. So I, I found one statement you made in the book intriguing. So you wrote that your husband's employment struggles, that through that, you trusted God more than your husband and that that trust in God enabled you to support your husband. Now, can you unpack that a bit? Well, I think sometimes in relationships, we can make maybe many gods of people and we rely, can rely on a person to supply our needs and people will always let us down. None of us are perfect. I'm not perfect. I let my husband down. I've hurt my kids. We're all going, you cannot be in relationship with another person without being vulnerable and without pain. Like it's it's just not, it's like you have the joys and then you have the sorrows. You know, you have the good times and then the not so good times. It's all there in relationship. And so I think I learned over time of, of being married that I actually did have to look to God or else my husband didn't have all the answers. He didn't have the wisdom. He didn't have the, I don't know, even with the kids. I think that's where I learned that, to tell you the truth, because I, I had good role models as my my mom and my husband's mom. I had good role models. But kids throw your curveballs. I mean, you don't know. I mean, you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. You don't know with how they're behaving today. Is this just a stage they're going through? Is this their character? Is this who they're going to be? How much do I deal with this? Like there are so many elements of the unknown in being a mum and raising children. And so what I had learned to do in my little quiet hour, I'd learned to sit and contemplate because sometimes kids are in great places and you're like, yeah, I don't have to worry about them. And as soon as you say it, sure enough, you're going to have to start worrying about them. 
you know, and so I would sit there and, and I would deal with circumstances in the basic way that I knew how to deal with. But sometimes the child didn't respond in the way that I was expecting. And so then I'm like, well, what's going on here? And so I learned in that quiet hour to, when I was concerned about something, to bring it to God. And so I think where I grew in all this was with the kids because I would bring that trait or that concern to God and I would say, listen, I've done everything. I know how to deal with this. You're going to have to give me some insights and some answers because there's something deeper or different going on that I don't know about and I can't address. And I would sit there and wait. And I tell you what, the number of times that a thought came across my mind that I know I would never have thought about if I hadn't have gone to God in prayer and then sat and waited. And then I would go and implement what he had told me. And often I would get breakthrough. So again, it's those little things. And that's just just day-to-day living, you know, that I was presenting. But it's those little things that I started learning with the kids of taking the issues to him and listening and then seeing which direction he takes and then that insight, using that insight. And uh, that's how I think I grew my faith. Wow. Well, I could also sense when I was reading your book that you had a really robust support system, it seemed. Like wherever you went, that that was one thing that intrigued me. And was that something that you actively worked to create or was that something God just kind of supplied or maybe a combination of so both? Are you, are you so are you saying here in America and Australia? Correct, correct. But in, in, here in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because we were... We were so living on the edge. <laughs> we could have, I mean, we could have been, I mean, things could have gone south. I mean, we could have been evicted from our place. We could have, David, not picked up another job. I mean, there were so many elements that we were living on the edge. We may not be able to put food on the table tomorrow, you know, that when when we saw people reach out to us and it would have been the person who lived down the road who saw us raking leaves and stopped and said, you guys are doing so great, you know, do you want to come down to our place? We grew that we were desperate for relationships. We were here isolated on our own. So we grew those relationships. And when people understood we were open and honest with where we were at, when people understood what was going on in our lives, they rallied really around us. And again, it's that thing of being vulnerable enough to talk about what's really going on. And I think when you're real and open and honest with another person, particularly a person of faith, their compassion goes out. They know they've they've got to they've got to be God. They've got to be Jesus in this scenario. And uh, when they would look after us, then uh, you're I don't know. Our hearts were melded very strongly. Yeah, well, I could see that. How do you think that interdependent living impacted your children's faith and resiliency? Oh, definitely. I mean, because we're all living it together, what I was experiencing and noticing, they were experiencing and noticing. So, yeah, I think they definitely understood the body of Christ and what that means. And I still see it actually being lived out today. So, for those of you, who might have been to a Fikian Country concert, Joel and Luke um, actually leave the stage in a song and they go down into the audience and they will give high fives to people and take photos with people and things like that. And it's just just a run, really. But I've noticed for both of them, but especially for Joel, he has a compassionate heart for the hurting. And when he goes down into the audience, he's looking for the person in the wheelchair. 
He's looking for the person who seems isolated. He's looking for the person who just seems to be doing it tough. And those are the people that he will make a special effort to reach out to. So I think just like we were reached out to by the body of Christ to encourage us, now in their own way, they're reaching out to people that they see that need a, a, a bit of encouragement. And then we will often get the letters in from people who he by chance just stopped at a wheelchair and the person's gone in for surgery the next day and how much that meant on their journey of health. Just, you know, it's just loving on people when God calls you to do that and taking what others have done for you and blessing somebody else with it. That's beautiful. Well, I'd love to end our discussion. If you could give just maybe one piece of advice or one truth that you would encourage parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles that would help them to build courageous, resilient kids, what what would you tell them? I'm very mindful in, in, in creating courageous kids. Don't over smother, don't over protect, don't be an umbrella parent, allow them to face the hard times, walk with them through the hard times. Reminded of Deuteronomy 6 that says, bring God's word and his truths into your home, wear them on your forehand, post them on over your door, bring his truth into your home, speak about them over dinners, over meals. I call them God moments. Turn crises, whether it be an argument, whether it be harsh words spoken between you and a child, allow God to Bring God moments into that. Go up and say, I'm sorry. I spoke out of turn. I was angry. You know, I got stuff going on and I was tired and I'm angry. Please forgive me for practicing forgiveness. Turning sort of tensions into what I call, as I say, these God moments where you're seeing God actively by giving forgiveness, by loving, choosing to love, by choosing to give grace. And just praying and walking life together. Yeah, and I would also encourage parents to pick up her book and you'll get to see some of those things lived out. And then you can look at it from now, you know where her kids are today. So you have kind of, (laughs) you can look at it with that, with that hindsight perspective. So her book is Behind the Lights, The Extraordinary Adventure of a Mum and Her Family. And then I will put her information in the show notes as well. Helen, thank you so much for your conversation today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And God bless you on your work that you're doing on this podcast. Thank you. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. We hope that this has encouraged you. If you haven't already done so, we would encourage you to subscribe. Then you won't miss a single episode and make sure to rate it. That helps others to find it. And then it helps our team. It encourages our team as well. Until next time, may you live as one who truly has been set free. Faith Over Fear is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. There's nothing in this world that he cannot do if we truly allow his love. We can do nothing without him. Anything that we do apart from him is not something that's permanent. We all need his grace. That's everybody. We are all broken people on our way to a place that we believe is, is waiting on us in heaven.
You can find more of Bridges with Monica Schmelter at lifeaudio.com. In Christ, we are all one family. Amen.